So the, uh, the message I wanted to share with you uh, has something to do with spiritual gifts. I don't know if, if that's something that you've ever considered. Uh, you, you read uh, a book like uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, there's a whole lot going on there about spiritual gifts. And it's something I think sometimes that uh, churches get a little, um, they can get a little touchy about. Uh, let's face it, there's different denominations on the simple basis that they agree or disagree on how the, the gifts are or, or to be executed. And so I actually this morning want to kind of take a little bit of a different perspective on it. Uh, and, and, and I was, I was sharing with a brother, he asked, oh, hey, you're speaking this morning. I said, yeah, what are you going to speak on? Uh, well, spiritual gifts. And so oh, from where? Well, from Moses. He's like, all right, okay, well, we'll, we'll see what you have to say. I don't know about you, but in my house, there are, there is, there's my hammers, okay? And then there's, my, I need to get my wife her own little hammer, Okay. And she would, she would prefer it if it had like a nice pink handle or something that was very clearly defined as hers. Uh, and the reason being is that, you see, not all hammers are made the same. See, a hammer is a tool, and it has a purpose. You can go to the next slide, okay? Now, in my household, one of the chores that I have to do on a regular basis, uh, well, not regular, because if I did it, they would be done and I wouldn't have to do it anymore, but it's to hang up the pictures and the frames, the shelving, all right? Now, I have a hammer set aside for this, but uh, uh, for the longest time, I had a hammer that was too big. Now, imagine trying to hang something on your walls with a sledgehammer, a 10-pound sledgehammer. How effective would that be? It's a hammer. You can use it. But it might not be uh, the most useful. It might, it might lead to destruction of your walls. And in my case, uh, an upset wife. I don't know if you've ever tried to do home demolition, but if you have just like a little 16-ounce hammer and you try to demolish a house with that, you're probably going to die trying. Because it's just, it just doesn't have the, 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 the weight. It doesn't have the, the power. It's not made for that. And yet... In the situation of hanging your, 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 your uh, picture frames, in the situation of demolishing, they both use a hammer, but a very specific kind of hammer. And, and if you use the wrong hammer for the wrong job, you're going to create destruction, and you're going to harm yourself, and you're going to get tired and frustrated, and you're probably going to throw the hammer. Something else about hammers, if we think about ourselves, I don't know why, but as people, we always want to kind of categorize ourselves. And you guys Myers-Briggs um, uh, nerds? No? Yeah? Okay. I'm an ENTP. You know what that means. <laughs> if we were to categorize ourselves as a tool, what would we be? Would you be a screwdriver? Would you have, like, you know, like options that you can add on there? See, if you were a hammer, if you would categorize yourself as a hammer as a tool, something that can repair, something that can build, something that can destroy, would all of your solutions begin to look like nails? They have all the problems you come across in your life. If you're a hammer, they look like nails. And there's one way of dealing with it because you think about yourself in a singular kind of way. What kind of hammer are you? What kind of tool are you? What are you made for? To build up or to bust up? And I think that there is a certain amount of demolition in, uh, required within building anything good. 
right? If you're gonna if you're gonna build a house, you need to lay a foundation. So you gotta bust up the ground and make sure that it's secure, that you have a good foundation, that you can build a good house. But oftentimes I think that we use our giftings and our abilities in an inappropriate way. And that it actually has, even though with the best of intentions, a negative impact and can be destructive. And this is why I think looking at Moses is actually a really great way of understanding how it is that we can be spiritually gifted. What am I supposed to do with my life? This is a question that as a youth and young adult pastor that I get on a regular basis, but you know what? It's not just a youth and young adult kind of question. It's, it's the kind of question a lot of people ask. The midlife crisis is steeped in this question. What am I doing with my life? What am I supposed to do? Has the effort that I've invested thus far, has it been worth it? Is the kind of person that I am, am I effective at what I'm supposed to be effective at? Well, I would say that the simple answer to this question, what am I supposed to do with my life, has already been mentioned. It's to know God. It's to glorify him. And this occurs through obedience. The only way to glorify God is through obedience. And the only way to be obedient to God is to know God. And the only way to really know God is to be in his word and among his people. The question of purpose is closely wrapped up with the question of identity. And as a guy, I, I get this really, you know, you, you ask a, a guy, you introduce yourself to him, and you see two guys, and, hey, my name is, and my name is, uh, what do you do? Immediately, that's the second question, right? Because who we are is very closely linked to what we do. Ladies, it's not like that, I know, and I don't understand that, but then again, I'm not a lady, it's fine. Who I am is very closely wrapped with what I do. When we don't know who we are, oftentimes those are the deepest and darkest struggles in our life. One of my uh, favorite theologians is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote this poem uh, while he was in uh, a concentration camp, essentially waiting, uh, waiting to die. It says, who am I? They often tell me, I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I, they also tell me, I bore the days of misfortune, equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Then, am I then really that which other men tell of, or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint, and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and myself? And before myself a contemptible woe-begone weakling? Or is there something within me like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I think there's a, a very deep truth there and in the face of our loneliness, in the face of our brokenness, in the face of our failures as we question and seek and try to understand how it is that I am here and for whatever reason that might be, that when we end with the knowledge and understanding that we aren't our own, that we have been purchased, that we have been made by God, 
that begins to change the conversation. So when we consider Moses, who was he? Who was he made to be? We know he was one of a kind. The people of Israel at that time were multiplying significantly, and the Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, he felt that this was inappropriate, and he had to do something about it, and so he made a decree that all the males should be destroyed that were born. And so all of Moses' peers were killed. There was no one his age in the nation of, of Israel, well, in the, in the people of Israel. And interestingly enough, he's saved by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised in the Pharaoh's court. And so when we think about who Moses is, Moses is someone who was treated and, and developed as a prince. He was given everything. He was in the cradle of civilization. He had the best kind of education money could buy. He grew up in the training of being a ruler, and so he knew how to rule. He knew how to uh, develop and lead an army. He knew how to fight. He knew how to speak. He knew philosophy. When you think about the situation that the people of Israel were in, was there no one better for that time and place than Moses? Well, let's look at the, uh, the first passage I just want to bring to your attention. It's found in, Mo, in, in, in Ex, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 uh, to 15. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and, saw, and thought, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. We'll just take a quick second and look at a couple of those verses. I apologize that that is really small on there. I'll try and make those bigger next time, okay? Uh, so Moses sees the plight of his people. He sees and feels the burden of the people of Israel. That passion is not by accident. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. If there was anyone in a position to do something about it, it was absolutely Moses. It's interesting in verse 12 what he says, though, what it says here, it says, He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When we talk about this idea of ability and spiritual gifting, the first and foremost, the, the thing I want to point out in this passage, the mistake I think that Moses makes is his overconfidence in his abilities. That when he looks back and forth, what he's saying is, I know how to deal with this, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to take care of it. He knows, I don't know what the equivalent of martial arts in Egypt at that time was, but he knew it, and he went, and he took this guy down. Whether he meant to just, like, break up the fight or whether he meant to actually murder this guy, it's not entirely clear here, but he knew he did something wrong because he hid the body. 
I imagine as he did this, he might have felt inside of himself this, this vision of raising up an army of Hebrew people, training them in secret and developing them and getting them ready for a coup to be able to, to fight off their Egyptian oppressors and, and take them into a new land and place. He had the training, he had the know-how. The next day, what does he do? He goes out and he sees two Hebrews who he's now just implicated himself. He's now committed a, a, a crime for these people and, and they're fighting one another. And he says, come on, guys, we, why are you fighting each other? Don't you know there's another enemy here? Don't you know there's something that we should be banning together against? And how do they respond to them? Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? I love the irony of that question. I love the irony because uh, the answer to that question is actually, the one who made him prince and judge over you is God. There actually is an answer to that question. The the problem is that Moses didn't know it. He felt it. He, he, He knew it. It was part of his identity and who he was, but he didn't recognize that. And so though he acted out of his own passions, the way that he was made, the way that he was developed, the position in life that he was put in, he, his actions naturally flowed out of that. Because he didn't know that it was God who had made him those things, the result of those actions led to, in a sense, his own kind of falling and, and, and his fleeing into Midian, his fear for his life, his brokenness. Moses didn't have an answer for this man. Am I nothing more now than just another oppressor, I imagine he thinks? Do I have to get people to do things by killing them? Is is that what I've come to? No better than the Egyptian oppressors who I'm trying to overthrow? Well, what does this have to do with spiritual gifts? See, you have been put into the place that you are. You have been given abilities. You have been given opportunities. And whatever they might be, and and I I think we really need to be careful about the way in which that we compare with one another about where your life is and what you have had as an opportunity and myself. But whatever that has been, wherever you have been, whatever you have learned, whatever you have experienced, God knows about it and he's put it there to prepare you for what he is calling you to do. The question is, do you know that? I might be a good speaker, but if I don't recognize that God is the one who has made me a good speaker, then I will probably use that gift inappropriately. I will be the sledgehammer trying to put up portraits on the wall. If I am not aware of who has created me, I won't know exactly what I was created for. In the next part of that passage, verses 16 to uh, 22, it says, The priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water at the well for their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they had come to their home, their father well, he said, How is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? 
Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And, and Moses was content to dwell with the man. He gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And I simply show you this piece of scripture to show that Moses is not now different, even though he is broken. He sees the oppression of someone, and he does something. But now he does something in a different way, because he doesn't go and kill these shepherds. He's broken, he's humble, he, he, he's not sure about who himself, but he still functions out of who he is. He stands up for those who are oppressed. And it works out quite nicely for him uh, in this instance. You know, rather than being chased out of a country, he gets a wife and a family. The next story in the life of Moses is one that we all know well and good. It's the, the story of the burning bush. That Moses, who is now well into his years, he's got a family, he's got a well-established herd of sheep that he takes care of, he's got a job and occupation, he's just living out the rest of his life. And one day, as he's like shuffling his sheep along, he sees this bush that's on fire, which isn't crazy, you know, bushes light on fire all the time, but this one didn't just burn up. So he sits there watching, and he's just like, why isn't it not burning? And he goes over it. And he goes to it. And then out of the bush speaks. And he hears the voice of God. Moses has a personal encounter with the living God. The events that got him to that place were ones that humbled him. He couldn't just come to God in all of his power. He had to be broken and, and lost and felt like he, he, he was not any good. And, and from that place, God meets with him. The bush calls out and says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. It says, do, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at the Lord. Next slide. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, God knew the plight of his people that he had chosen, that he was going to use to communicate to the world, and he put that vision, he put that passion in the heart of his son Moses. And Moses acted inappropriately out of that vision. But God comes and he meets with him. He says, look, I want to let you know that what is in you is real, is true. That vision that you saw, that pain and suffering that you felt at the oppression of your brothers and sisters, that's real and I want to do something about it. And what's more, I want you to do something about it. In verse 10, he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God gives Moses a very specific calling. And it's one that he alone has been set aside for. And and we might look at this and be like, well, yeah, but we're not all Moseses. Excuse me. Aren't we? In In the Last Supper... Well, Jesus was teaching his disciples, what did he say to them? No longer do I call you slaves, students, but friends, because you know as I know. Everything that has been revealed to me has been revealed to you. 
And he says, I'm going away, and it's good for me to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Because Jesus' plan for this world was not to leave it with one Moses, but to make everyone like a Moses. That God would walk with each one of us, that all of us in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus can go to the mountaintop and then to bring God with us. But how does Moses respond? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I? That's the question. That's the question that we ask. Who am I to do these things? Who am I to have this life? Who am I to suffer these things? God's response to him, oh, thank you so much. God's response to him is this. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Isn't that reassuring? Moses says, who am I? Look, I tried, God. I did my best. I did what I could out of the position and situation that you put me, and it got me nowhere. But God's response to him is, is, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And I will go with you. Moses is pretty convinced at this point, right? Well, that's not really how the story in Exodus goes. Moses says to God, well, what am I supposed to say to them? Like, people are just going to think I've been off in the desert getting, like, my brain baked by the sun all these years talking to sheep. What do I tell them? And this is crazy. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God reveals his name, his personal identity to Moses. The thing about spiritual gifts, the thing about our giftings and our abilities, it has to come out of not just who we are and what we have been, what we experience, but who we know. A personal relationship with the God of the universe. Moses, okay, what does he say? Behold, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. So then God gives him these signs. And this is kind of a weird thing because, like, they're spiritual things. They're miraculous things. First, God says to him, look, what's in your hand? Well, it's a staff, you know. He's a shepherd. That's what they carry around. He says, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. It must have been a real-looking snake because Moses was trying to get out of it. He said, oh, it's a snake. God says, don't, don't run away. Pick it up. It becomes a staff again. And I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty convincing. Then God says, well, we'll take your hand and put it inside your robe and pull it out. It was leprous. I imagine you can't run away from your hand. You know, Moses is like, I've got leprosy. God says, don't worry about it. Put it back in your robe. Take it out. Now it's healed. And if they don't believe those two things, if they don't believe that I'm the one that sent you, then do this as well and take some water from the Nile, drop it on the ground, and it turns to blood. Now those are some weird spiritual gifts. You know what I mean? 
Like, if I was going to, like, think of spiritual gifts, I'd be like, God, could you make me fly? That would be awesome. Everyone would believe me if I had that spiritual gift. But see, spiritual gifts, they're not for us. They're for the people around us. See, because God's not blessing us so that we can just, like, enjoy that. Like, it's good to be blessed by the Lord, but that's not where the real blessing lies. See, the real blessing, the opportunity that we have is not in being blessed, but in being able to bless others. And so when God gives us these things, they're not for us. These, these signs, <coughs> excuse me, they were not for Moses. They were for the mo- people that Moses was going to go and speak to. Is this enough for Moses? No, of course not. Moses is human. He's afraid. He's frail. And, and doesn't really want to do it. He says to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, first off, Moses, if you're going to tell someone you're not eloquent, don't use the word eloquent, okay? (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And, and Moses' true colors come out in this moment. And he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Look, guess what? God's not interested in sending someone else because he placed you exactly where he wanted you. And he put Moses right where he wanted him to because he has this whole plan, this narrative that he is affecting on his creation. And you and I are a part of it, just as Moses was a part of it. We don't get to say, please, Lord, send someone else, because God doesn't want to send someone else. He wants to send you. See, I don't think Moses, his problem in this situation, the mistake that he's making is no longer that he is overconfident in his own abilities, but he lacks confidence in the abilities of God. And that is something that needs to be developed and cultivated, that happens in relationship You want to hang out with me and find out how good of a football player I am, you're probably going to have to play a lot with me because it's been a while and I need to get those, like, skills back a little bit. That you would be able to have confidence in me and my ability to play a game. Well, we need to learn and find out just how capable our God is. And and he knows that need in us. And so he asks us to do little things to build us up in preparation for the things that he's placed before us. He starts off with Moses by just saying, look, just go talk to my people. And by the end of it, Moses is parting seas, causing water to come out of rocks. Winning battles by holding his arms up for a day and a half. The last thing I want to leave you with is... uh, is this situation that happens, you know, so Moses, we know the ten plagues happen and it's really uh, significant and, and uh, the people of Israel are absolutely without a doubt in the understanding that God is the God of the universe and he is the God of Israel. And so God leads his people out of Egypt and Moses is there and now Moses really is the prince and judge over the people of Israel and he's doing his job to the best of his abilities. And his father-in-law comes and I, I, I'm really thankful. I got a great father-in-law. He doesn't like come to my house or say, "Hey, like, why are you doing these things? Why, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you doing it this way?" But here, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes. He says, "What are you doing?" 
It's in uh, Exodus 18, 14 and 18. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. What did God say when he made Adam? You know what? There's something missing here. There needs to be someone else to carry the burden. We might be able to recognize and know, okay, so I, I, I'm someone who is good with administration. This is this ability that God has given me. I'm not actually talking about me, okay? Like, I, I'm talking about someone else right now. But I have this ability and this gifting. And, well, then I'm just going to do all the administration for like a week because at the end of that week, I will die. Jethro was going to, to Moses saying, look, you can't do it all, and you're not intended to do it all. There is people around you, people who are righteous, who know the Lord and know uh, what he has asked of them. They have personal relationships with him. Involve them. This is not just for you. It's for everyone. Yes, you have an important role, and you do go to God, and you do these things, but do it smart. As a young man, I used to always say to people, you know, I like to work smart, not hard. And, and not to say that I, I'm not afraid of, of hard work, but I'd rather not do something pointlessly. I'd rather not take a 16-ounce hammer and try to demolish a house with it. But sometimes I think we can get in this place and think that, like, we're all alone and we've got to do it by ourselves. And that is not the way that God intended us to do it. So I'd just like to leave you with a few, just a few points. The so what's. Relationship with God is key. He informs who we are and he has the intention for what he wants us to do. Outside of him, we can accomplish nothing. And anything that we accomplish without God only undermines or works against what he is doing. Because it either, it's the hammer uh, the sledgehammer trying to put something on a wall inappropriately, or it builds ourselves up in our own confidence and abilities. Not that I'm saying we shouldn't be confident in ourselves. We should. But we, that confidence should come from God and who he is. Attitude is more important than aptitude. Attitude is more important than aptitude. Now, don't get me wrong. Aptitude is significant, and we should be giving God our best and doing our best that when we work, we should work as though for the Lord. But attitude trumps aptitude. Any day of the week, I will take someone who has heart over someone who has skill. It doesn't matter how good you are if you say, send someone else. It doesn't matter what you know or who you know or what you have if you say, not me. Aptitude is, is less important than your attitude. And our attitudes are formed and shaped by Jesus. That the fruit of our relationship with him and the spirit within us is evident. And lastly, don't focus on the how more than the who. This is something that I have a hard time with. I like to think of myself as a very capable young man. 
I like to think that if there is a situation or problem, I can overcome it with my, uh, <clears throat> my very good charm, uh, my intelligence, you know, my, my willingness to work. And oftentimes I come to a situation and I have a vision of what I think God wants to do. And if I have more confidence in my own ability, then I am going to do something wrong and I'm going to hurt someone or I'm going to hurt myself. Vision is about what God wants, not about what I should do. Moses saw the plight and the difficulty of his people, and he needed to surrender that to God because God was showing him what God wanted to do, not necessarily what he wanted Moses to do in that moment. So then, who are you? Where have you come from? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Because these things are not accidents. These things are things that God has given you for a purpose. But knowing who you are is secondary to knowing who has given it to you. And so as we endeavor to build the kingdom of God together, and what a beautiful and amazing picture that was today as we all worshipped with the many different flags and the lights and everyone was just bouncing. What an awesome picture that each of us have a part to play, whether it's holding a flag, whether it's holding a light, whether it's leading in worship, whether it's singing, whether it's encouraging, whether it's giving hospitality, whether it's speaking in tongues or giving prophecy or whatever, that all these things are for God and for his glory, and we need to do them together. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and uh, for the, the many blessings that you give us. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us not to hold on to these things, uh, that we would hold them to ourselves, Lord, but that the blessings that you give us, that we would be able to bless others with those things. And so, Lord, truly uh, enter into your work. And God, you alone accomplish these things. And so let us not labor uh, in vain. Let us not labor without you, uh, because, God, it is only by you and for you that these things will be done. So, God, we ask that you come and that you accomplish your will in our lives and through them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.